Not that I was looking hashtags for shirtless, mind you. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'm David Leet, the founder of the website Leet's Culinaria and the author of the cookbook, The New Portuguese Table. And I'm Amy Traverso, food editor and co-host of the public television show Weekends with Yankee and author of the Apple Lover's Cookbook. And we are your hosts. It's like from Cabaret. <laughs> I am your host. We are your hosts of Talking With My Mouthful, a podcast about food, food adjacent stuff, not food stuff, and mostly food stuff. <laughs> Hey, David. Hey, Amy. So how was your food fortnight? My food fortnight was varied and interesting. Mm. Um, both the one and I made dinner, and because mostly dinners that we do stuff with, lunches, just like sandwiches or something. But I made a homemade pasta, which mm. is so super easy. Yeah. The recipe's on the site. And I seared up some shrimp, and I made a lemon cream sauce and tossed it all together, and it was just Marvy. Yum, Just Marvy. Yum, 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 yum. And then the one made a peach and blueberry dump cake. Do you like dump cakes? I love dump cakes. Right? They're so simple. They're so simple. And this used canned peaches and fresh blueberries. And it was buttery and marvelous and it just was great. And then the one spatchcocked a chicken and made some herb butter and slid it under the skin and on top of the skin. And then there was a wine bath that it was over and it roasted and all that butter went into the wine. And we made a sauce out of that, which was lovely. And of course there were potato salad and potato salad and potato salad. I just can't get enough of potato salads. Mm. Um, and then I also made, a friend of ours was having brunch and she wanted to get bagels. And I said, nah, I'll bring something. And I made an everything bagel sourdough loaf. Ooh, yum, yum, yum. Massive, massive hit. Nice. Massive hit. And that's on the site too. Oh, fabulous. How about you? How was your food fort night? We may be in the heart of summer right now, but I am cooking holiday recipes because that's the nature of <laughs> magazines. And exactly, Yankee yes. Magazine's holiday issue has to get done. So I've been doing a story, I've been working on recipes for a story that's like holiday sweets and sides. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been working on this awesome chocolate mocha bundt cake. And it's a technique Ooh. that I came across. It's a, it's a classic recipe, but it's a method we don't see very often, which is to use hot water. You sort of mix your dry ingredients and then on mm -hmm. the stove, you melt butter with water and cocoa powder. And you Ooh. stir that mixture into the dry ingredients. It mm -hmm. first of all blooms the chocolate flavor, but it also really saturates that flour with moisture. And so the cake is so moist. Oh, oh, I love gosh. the texture of this cake and everyone I've made it for is crazy about it. So fortunately we had to wait for these recipes to come out in, in November or late October for this issue. But And that's the chocolate mocha, mocha bunt, bunt cake. cake. So I did come across the idea for this recipe in the New York Times. It's called the Denver Chocolate Sheet Cake. And that was that method of using the hot water. So I basically turned that into a bundt cake and made some adjustments. But if you want to make this cake now, look up on the New York Times, Denver Chocolate Sheet Cake. Fantastic. Excellent. What else did you make? 
an apple cranberry pear pan dowdy, which is Ooh. really old fashioned. I love that. Very. It's, it's a skillet pie, so there's no bottom crust. You make a pie crust, but you cut it into squares and you kind of shingle them over the top, over this delicious yeah. filling. I love pan dowdies. And then as it cooks, the juices will kind of bubble up over the top, and you can even use a, a spoon to press those squares of pie crust down into the juices so that they huh. get kind of coated as they mm-hmm. bake. And it's it's just wonderful. I did. I'm doing a cream spinach with toasted almond breadcrumb topping, uh, wow. ultra crispy potatoes, which I love. So anyway, I'm excited about these recipes, but I definitely feel like I'm way out of season. <laughs> and the thing is, you're teasing us with all these recipes and we can't get to them for months. I know. That's but, the horrible thing about magazines. That's a ter- you're, you know what? You're a food tease. <laughs> You're a food tease. So this is the November issue of Yankee Magazine, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so people can look forward to that. And when November rolls around, we'll be sure to go back to the show notes for this and link to these recipes so that way you have them. So anyway, speaking of these kinds of old-fashioned recipes, boy, do Mm. we have a guest for you today. We do. Vintage recipe, man. So we have B. Dylan Hollis, who actually, David, you introduced me to him a couple years ago now. Yeah. The thing about him is that he is so exuberant and excited, and he tries these old-timey, old-fashioned recipes from church cookbooks, from PTA cookbooks, from church ladies, from from all a junior league, and he has never made them before, and he makes them on his TikTok, and we watch at the end when he likes it or doesn't, and he's so charming, and he's so authentic, and- He has 11 million followers. He's doing very 11 well. 11 million followers between TikTok and Instagram and YouTube, so you really have to follow him, but he's great, and Amy, what was the thing that stuck out for you most in the interview? He's lovely. He's just the loveliest person. He and his is. his genuineness and his heart, I think, are mm. what make him so appealing and what I are agree. underlie his success. And it makes me happy that someone who leads with sincerity and humor and heart is succeeding in this media landscape. Because I want yeah. more of that. Yeah. And what did you like about him? I was surprised, but really touched in a certain sense about how soft-spoken and genuine and thoughtful he is. Not Mm -hmm. that I didn't think he was a thoughtful person, but his persona and his personality on his channel is, you know, kind of loud and and barkerish, if you will, and Mm -hmm. he just really has a great time. And here he's thinking and and, Mm -hmm. and very thoughtful, and and I was very impressed by that. For such a young person Mm -hmm. in his, I think, mid-20s, he really is so mature, and I really enjoyed speaking to him. And let's not forget, he has a new cookbook called Baking Yesteryear, a collection of all these recipes from the 1900s through Mm. the 1980s, and it's a delight. Welcome to the show, Dylan. Thank you, David. Thank you. And hi, Amy. Hi. All right. I just got to say this up front, as we're all here, I predicted this two years ago. When you were a mere pup, wet behind the ears, you had maybe 150,000 followers, 200,000 followers, that you would become a star. A star! <laughs> I did. And you know, about a year and a half ago, I tried to get you on the show. It didn't, it didn't work out, right? No, I was very wishy-washy at the time. Yes, I didn't know what I was doing. I knew it. 
I knew you were going to become a star. I'm just saying that. I do remember, David, you saying to me, you know, do you watch this kid? Yeah, I said, watch this kid. <laughs> this kid is going places. He's going places. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, the, the the early days were sort, uh, sort of the, the Wild West on TikTok, what I uploaded. I was finding my footing you know, uploading all sorts of videos uh, that had nothing to do with baking. Right. Uh, you know, in the, in the very beginning, a lot of those baking videos, I think you could tell that I really did not have a background in baking, <laughs> but uh, it didn't seem to care. I think the point was I was having fun and people seemed to have fun watching me having fun. No, <laughs> I remember there was a TikTok that I tried to find today, but I couldn't, about you talking about how water is filtered through the roofs in Bermuda. Yes. Is it yes. still there? I couldn't oh. find it. It is. It is. It's it's buried back, you know, in the in the backlogs, but it's still <laughs> uploaded. And yeah, of course, you know, I was born and raised in Bermuda back in the you know the, the dark ages of the nineteen nineties. Oh um, yeah, I was, so dark. God, so, <laughs> so, so long dark. ago. Oh yes, I'm placed to see an age. So yeah, I wasn't so an adult or anything in the nineties. <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, and of course, Bermuda is this very small island. It is one mile wide. It is mm -hmm. 21 miles long. There's 60,000 of us, 700 miles out east uh, off of the east coast of the United States in the middle of the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for our waters, we have our limestone roofs, and they're painted with a, with a lime whitewash. And, mm -hmm. you know... Rain falls and trickles down into tanks underneath all of our houses. And, you know, we have a finite amount. So, you know, we grew up being taught one must take five-minute showers, no more. <laughs> and the water tastes better than any... You know, I came here to the United States and I was like, hmm, this tastes like pool water. It's chlorinated. <laughs> very <laughs> yeah, exactly. People found that very interesting. But, of course, it was just a way of life where I was from. And I don't know why, but that's when I started following you, was the Bermuda water. Yes. <laughs> that was it. Well, okay, so we, we've established that David takes all the credit for your success. Of course. Um, <laughs> but let's go back. I want to hear a little more about this. How did your family end up in Bermuda? Does your family go, like, way back? Yeah, so I'm actually a 10th generation Hollis. Um, wow. Uh, the Hollis family is one of those, you know, families, like in a small town, you know, you have a surname that seems to carry some weight. And mm -hmm. in Bermuda, Hollis is one of them. There's like Outerbridge, there's Bascom. Um, but yeah, we were there. Uh, Captain John Hollis back, uh, I want to say, you know, very early 1700s or, or mm -hmm. mid 1700s came to Bermuda from Britain. My father used to tell me, you know, he was taken from the streets of London and thrown on a <laughs> ship, you know, to pour sand on deck where, you know, people's, you know, bodily fluids would be flying. I said, goodness mm. gracious, dad. Um, but yeah, and my, my mom is an American. So my mom was born in Austin, Texas. But yeah, I'm a 10th generation Hollis and uh, my dad's a fisherman and uh, well, he did many things, and my mom works in offshore finance, which Bermuda is famous mm. for or notorious for. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can go either way, can't it? Yes. So, born and raised in Bermuda, what brought you to the States? Well, I told you how sort of small Bermuda is, you know, mm -hmm. a mile wide, 21 miles long. And when you're there for, you know, 18 years... Boy, do you see the same thing every day. You see the same people every day. And it's, even though you're wide open in the middle of, of the Atlantic, it is very claustrophobic. You mm -hmm. know, no matter where you are, you can see the ocean. And I said, I want to go somewhere completely different to that where I grew up. 
you know, and most of us uh, Bermudians either go study in the United Kingdom mm-hmm. uh, because we're British overseas territory citizens. You know, we're British. We can go to British universities quite easily. Or they'll go to Canada, places like Halifax, Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. which is quite close. But I said, you know, I want to go. Where is the very opposite of this small <laughs> island nation? And I began thinking. I said... I think it is, it is the vast open expanse of the Wild West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I got some ideas together. I said, you know, Montana, you know, that's that's a bit, you know, there's not much going on up there. And well, not to say there's not much going on in where I find myself now, where it's Wyoming, but I did indeed settle on Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to think too much about where in the state because there's only one, you know, four-year university. And I came to visit the University of Wyoming in February of 2014. And Mm -hmm. it must have been 12 degrees Fahrenheit. And I (laughs) brought my two Bermudian parents (laughs) and they they thought I was insane. I remember we didn't have a rental car or anything. So we were walking, you know, 15 minutes into the journey from the hotel (laughs) to the fine arts program at the University of Wyoming. And we got in, we were shivering, but I fell in love. I really did. Mm. It's just a small town. Everyone knows each other, but it was new to me. And it seemed to be that American culture that I was, I had always been so fascinated with, you know. I recall I was going to the courthouse when I was first here in the United States. I was getting some paperwork for my first car that I had gotten in the United States. And I walked into the courthouse and it was like a sitcom, David. It was like (laughs) a sitcom in that I walked in and across my field of vision walked in the sheriff. And, you know, the county commissioner said, morning, sheriff. And the sheriff says, you know, you got a cup, a cup of coffee for me, honey. And I said, this, <laughs> this is quintessential America. And, uh, yeah. So that's how I found myself in, uh, in the state of Wyoming in the United States. Wow, that's amazing. So now you're in the States. You're a student. But how did the whole baking from forgotten church recipe books and PTA cookbooks and, you know, ladies' guild pamphlets come about? Because The junior league. Yeah, <laughs> because I have to say, I work, I work for a magazine that's based in New England, and it's called Yankee, and... Um, we we have it's a hundred year it's almost a hundred years old. So we have archives going back to the thirties, and I wow. love looking at these old recipes. So I feel very copacetic with you in that love of like of those old recipes. So, but how did how did your love come about? Because you didn't start out strictly doing food on TikTok. No, no. And uh, the one thing that I think it's important to note is that I have always been fascinated with yesteryear. You know, that's become mm-hmm. my favorite word, you know, mm. the word yesteryear. Since I was little, you know, my grandfather was a, a Calypsonian. He was a, a musician. Wow. And he, you know, he played music like that of the Kingston Trio and these, wow. these folk bands. Mm-hmm. And I grew up listening to those. And I grew up watching, you know, movies from the 50s, you know, and while people my age were watching what it was, you know, SpongeBob and, you know, Jimmy <laughs> Neutron. I was watching reruns of, you know, The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so... From a very young age, I almost exclusively consumed old school media. So mm. I, I began a fascination for all things old, old records. I collected 1940s, you know, tube radios. And wow. that began a love of, of yesteryear. So I had always begun collecting various old things. I would collect, like I say, radios, um, records, books, 
and amongst books were cookbooks. So I used to, you know, carry those around every time I used to go to an antique store or an estate sale or mm-hmm. a yard sale. I'd pick up these old things. So I had always had a collection of cookbooks, both, you know, in Bermuda, both in Wyoming. And I should also say my first car was a 1963 Cadillac. I really tried mm. to live this yeah, life yeah, of to you. <laughs> I mean, so, you're gloriously out of step with contemporary life. I am, I am. And people say, you know, you, there's that cliche term, you were born in the wrong era. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel that. I feel I was born in the, in the very correct era. And the ability to look back from a modern perspective and sort of live, for lack of a better word, in the past, mm-hmm. that's a very, a very unique way to live. And it's been very fulfilling for me. But going back, so I had always been sitting on this collection of old things. So, of course, when COVID hit, when the pandemic hit, and all of the you know, university classes went online, we weren't going outside. I suppose it's important to note that I'm, you know, I'm a musician. I was in school studying music. Mm-hmm. I'm a pianist. And I studied, of course, 1940s big band jazz and stride piano. So I really lived on all of that. But when the pandemic began, what else was there to do but to you know, go through all of your collections, pick up new things? And I had moved to TikTok. I had downloaded TikTok during the pandemic, as many people did, yeah. as a way to, to pass time. Mm-hmm. And I was thumbing through this old Five Roses Flower company cookbook. Sure. Five Roses Flower was a Canadian miller, yeah. um, a milling company. And lo and behold, in the center of this book was a recipe for, it was titled Pork Cake. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, nothing about that is drawing me in. Let's keep keep going. No, Amy, nothing nothing about that really strikes you as, you know, gastronomy. Uh, But I said, said, there's no way. This must be a nickname for something. There must be. And I I went down the ingredients list and lo and behold, yeah, a pound of ground pork Mm -hmm. was listed as an ingredient. And I said, this is absurd. This is an actual print recipe in publication from a cookbook from this time period. And I said, I need to record this. So that was the first video that I did. And it was in August of 2020. And I decided, you know, I was going to set my phone up in my kitchen, my college apartment kitchen. Mm -hmm. And I was going to record and show people about this absurd recipe. And that began, that began this journey. That's the recipe that launched a thousand TikToks. Yeah, yeah, and people found it fascinating, and I, I had, I sort of understood why, mm-hmm. but I, I tried to inject my humor into that. I, with social media, I knew I just needed to try things until they stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like throwing spaghetti at a wall mm. until something grabs people's attention, and I just got so lucky in that that began a love of baking. You know, many people started hobbies during the pandemic. Yeah. Mine was baking and it just so happened to be on camera and I, I couldn't be more grateful. Mm. And then so explain how the personality, the that sort of like loud yelling, the the floof powder, the simonin and all of that developed. Was that, did that just come out kind of fully formed? Is it something that grew? Is that really part of your personality? Because what I am struck by is how calm and how centered and how NPR you sound right now. (laughs) (laughs) Very surprised. Well, as sort of any entertainer, any musician will tell you, you you do have to 
amplify, you know, turn that dial up mm. to sort of 150 when mm. you're on camera. Because when people are, are watching something and, you know, engaging in content in that matter, you do need to turn things up to 150 so that they come across as 100. That's mm -hmm. how I like to think of things. But I've always been absurd. You know, I was that class clown in high school. I was that foolish person. So it sort of came out, it was fully fledged in that, yeah, that is my personality. Mm -hmm. But boy, yeah, I did turn it up. You know, a lot of people describe it as, you know, a Marx Brothers film on two times speed. Um, <laughs> but for me, if it is just getting in the kitchen, making a raucous mess of things, laughing, and mm -hmm. getting something that is at least 60% edible, that is a win. Mm -hmm. And if my, you know, silly mispronunciation and over-the-top personality will bring people to baking, then I'm all for it. Do you, now, do you feel like yeah, it makes sense that I have developed this following of like 11 million subscribers and I, I'm a celebrity. You know, does, that, does that feel like, yeah, that was going to happen inevitably? Or are you baffled by it? Like, are you sort of... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I couldn't. I, I could have never, could have never predicted. I, I have said, and I will continue to say, I'm perhaps the only person in the food sphere on the internet who hasn't a clue what he's doing. <laughs> I am fumbling through these things. I have no really, no baking experience prior to, you know, 2020. And to gather this following and to be known as a baker is absurd. It, it, <laughs> it really is. So to me, it doesn't quite make sense. I feel a bit like an imposter. I feel a bit like everything's about to crumble down. <laughs> but... It speaks to the fact that baking, yeah, it's it's many things. It's not just perfect, you know, laminated pastries and and danishes, but rather mm. it it could be any any level of proficiency. Well, I'll give you a little insight here. The imposter feeling, the imposter syndrome, it never mm -hmm. goes away. If you're good and you care about what you do, you always feel like an imposter. Well, that and what I think is great about what you do, and we're going to get to your book, but what I think is great about what you do on your, your recorded TikToks, I can't wait to watch your reaction to what you've made because it's like, how could something so weird and weird ingredients taste mm -hmm. good? It's a suspense built into what you do. Will he or won't he? Is it good? Is it not? And it keeps me going right to the very mm. end of your 59-second TikToks. And when it comes to the live, I pop in a lot. And I always say, hey, Dylan, I'm here. <laughs> There's so many people commenting, you never see me. And I just go back and I check until I see you tasting. And it's like, ha ha, you liked it. <laughs> you know, so that's the that's a great thing. I, that's it. It's the suspense that's built into this format that you created. I was just saying, you know, a lot of people have, have mentioned that, David. And they're like, mm-hmm. You know, is this calculated? Is this a calculated or, you know, specifically manufactured format mm -hmm. of videos to sort of what take advantage of the algorithm? You know, because anything that gets people watching for as long as possible, you know, normally does well when it comes to watch time on, on the Internet, on social media. And I said, no, it's this is really a natural format in that, you know, you two cook and you know that, well, you can't very rightly taste something <laughs> until it's baked. And so it's, right. it's, it's natural in, in that sense. But also, yeah, 
it's the my three W's that I live by, have always lived by, and it's what I apply mm-hmm. to my baking, and that is wild, wacky, and or wonderful. So that's how I that's how right. I pick and how I find these recipes. And yeah, when a recipe is wild and wacky, and you list the ingredients and you say there is no way that these two things that these three things can come together and you know i even get this suspense when i'm making it you know especially if these absurd mm-hmm. things go into a cake batter take for example that pinto bean cake from the 1950s and you know i'm right. i'm i'm recording it i'm having fun and i smell it and i said oh good heavens this actually smells like something fantastic and you know i open the oven and here's this fully formed cake you know with no flour and it's just pinto beans and i'm cutting into it and i said this is this is not real this can't be real and and i taste it and yeah all of the taste testings are genuine because you know your yeah. audience is not a fool i have always known that people will be able to tell if you're acting, you know, if you taste something and you don't like it and you say you like it, that's very obvious and vice versa yeah. as well. So all of those are, are, are very genuine. It's, it's such a fun time. So this, this career of yours began as pure fun hobby, you know, just like this is what I'm doing to get through the pandemic. How has that changed, you know, your experience of the work and of yourself? When I began baking on TikTok, you know, that was my start to baking. You know, I started mm-hmm. baking exclusively wild, wacky recipes from old cookbooks, you know, where many people who have been baking for years, you know, they start with their quick breads, they start with muffins, they start with boxed cake mix. Right. And so I've become this, you know, one trick pony really of community cookbook recipes from the United States. So when I began to gain traction in the social media sphere, you know, in the cooking sphere where people are very well versed and you're now following, being followed by and being lumped into true honed bakers, Mm -hmm. there's some difficulty in identity because here I am not really knowing how to make like I say, laminated pastries, not really knowing how to make, you know, Napoleons all pretty and all these things. So there's this desire to actually go back and learn some of the the basics of cookery so that I can feel that I'm on equal footing. Mm. So I struggle with that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I follow, there's this gentleman, Matt Adlard, who's a, a British mm-hmm. uh, British baker. Wonderful. And, you know... He was the naked baker, I think, for a yeah, while. Yeah, the shirtless baker, which, you know... It, it, oh, that was shirtless baker, yeah. Yeah, so you, you, you might <laughs> you might understand how I came across him. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not that I was looking hashtags for shirtless, mind you. I wasn't. <laughs> but, you know, he can, he can give you a lesson on how to yeah. make an angel food cake, mm. you know, perfectly and without fail. And here I am, you know, still sort of just making the most basic baking recipes from, you know, church ladies. So that's, mm-hmm. that's been difficult. There are those with studios and very expensive cameras and lapel mics yeah. and mm-hmm. lighting rigs and editors. And for whatever reason, I've been afforded success with just my phone 
in a mm. shoddy kitchen that smells <laughs> a little bit like mildew. And <laughs> I am so thankful for it. And I'm just going to, I'm going to continue writing it as long as I can. Yeah, please do. Don't change it. Don't become slick. I want to say that I really believe that there is a place, yes, for the people who've gone to pastry school and who know how to laminate and who are the experts we turn to. But I really think there is an equally valid place for a non-expert expert like you, who is showing us a process of learning, of discovery, of yes. delight. And it's as valid as the expert expert because you're- 100% agree. You're still leading us into something wonderful. So I hope you'll rest easy in your place in the landscape because it's a big world and there's really a place for it. It's very kind of you to say, and it's also very interesting of you to say, because that's also what I began to notice as I've continued doing this, is that the type of baking, the type of cooking that is held on a pedestal, placed on a pedestal, that is furthered, <laughs> that is sort of ingrained, is that highest rung on the ladder of baking is those, you know, perfect yes. pastries. And that's what mm -hmm. seems to have survived in the history books, in cookbooks. That's what we think of. And through my experiencing baking through the lens of yesteryear's recipes, I really wanted to find a platform, find a way to uphold the glory of what on the surface is just, you know, baking nonsense or a passing fad or the ridiculous sort of, you know, what, pudding cakes or Velveeta fudge. I think those need to be, you know, brought up because that is culture. That's an expression of culture. You know, it might be absurd. It might be boxed ingredients, um, you know, from Wisconsin, from, you know, the Dakotas. But I mm -hmm. think, I think they're just equally as important. So I do agree with you with that. Mm. Let's talk about baking yesteryear. It is just a whimsical, loving look at the bakes from the 1900s to the 1980s. Now, how did you decide to write a book? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, I think I mentioned earlier how I wanted to elevate, as Amy said, these unserious recipes, these recipes that maybe, you know, saw their limelight for, you know, 20 years uh, through the 1960s, the 1970s. Those are my, mm -hmm. some of my favorites and my favorites also of the, of the Great Depression. And all of these great recipes that I would find came from the spiral bound, you know, typeface, like the typewritten, you know, in the community cookbooks yes, that yes. were falling apart at the seams and the cookbooks that people understand as cookbooks, the, you know, perfectly bound, wonderful hardcover cookbooks that survived didn't have them. And I realized that many people my age, if they didn't go to antique stores, if they didn't go to estate sales or yard sales, they would never come across them. They wouldn't have survived. So, you know, making videos was one way for me to share what these things that I thought were fantastic. But to write a cookbook that was in the same format as my videos, you know, recipes by the decade, incorporating my three W's, wild, wacky, and wonderful, that could be easily followed. I don't think there's a better way to share 
sort of these these recipes of yesteryear than writing a cookbook titled Baking Yesteryear. I mean, it's it's <laughs> right. what I do. I, I say I'm a one-trick pony. What do I do? I bake yesteryear. So let's <laughs> let's write a book called Baking Yesteryear. And I had always been keeping records, keeping a spreadsheet of, you know, these recipes that I try, you know, things that, you know, maybe didn't work, needed to be changed. Because, um, of course, if you guys know these 1900s, 1910s recipes, you know, often didn't have amounts, often didn't even mm-hmm. have baking temperatures, right. didn't even tell you to bake them, let alone what to bake them in. So <laughs> mm-hmm. being able to have a recipe from 1900, 1910, that was a good idea. And then to have it in the modern format of ingredients and method and giving proper baking times and these things through my own work, workshopping and experimentation, that would be a great way to share these things with with people. And I mean, yeah, Mm. how does anyone decide how to write a cookbook? Did the publisher approach you or did you approach a publisher? I think I'm allowed to say that I was approached by the publisher. It makes sense. Of course. I knew that I could have bet a thousand dollars on that one. They knew a good thing when they saw it. It's a great way to do it. (laughs) So just diving a little more into the book, many of the recipes here are the classics we would kind of expect to see. Lady Baltimore cakes, chocolate mayonnaise cakes, grasshopper pie. But then there are the unusual Mm -hmm. ones like the Robert Redford, roughage loaf, (laughs) SpaghettiOs, (laughs) Jell-O rings. (laughs) So tell me, what are your favorites, especially the unexpected favorites? So my, I'll, I'll give you an example of one of my favorite recipes, mm-hmm. which is called mm-hmm. it, and the applesauce graham cracker tort. And mm-hmm. it is a three-layered <laughs> tort, which, you know, uses no flour, but replaces that flour with graham cracker crumbs. You know, yesteryear right. had a fascination with things like graham cracker crumbs or Nilla wafers and, you know, puddings. Mm-hmm. And my favorite recipes are those that replace things like flour with unconventional things like graham cracker crumbs. So this three-tier graham cracker crumb applesauce tort uses Mm -hmm. applesauce, graham cracker crumbs, egg yolks, and a bit of baking powder, and a bit of cinnamon. And it creates this flat, very spongy sort of cake. And it's, it's just layered simply with a brandied whipped cream. Mm. And the combination of sort of the nuttiness of graham crackers with the apple and with the cinnamon and this, you know, uh, brandied whipped cream, it's, it's fantastic. So in that way, my favorite recipes are simple ideas, but from a different perspective. Mm. It sounds a lot more profound than it is, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, then we have to try the cake. Yeah. I just want to throw this out. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Laura Shapiro, but she wrote a book called Something from the Oven about um, American food in the sort of post-industrial food era. And she points something out that I think I don't appreciate with my modern sensibility of like, oh, I want to eat organic and farm to table and you know close to the source, that these convenience products that end up in a lot of the recipes you're cooking with were seen as modern liberating ingredients that freed women from being tied to a kitchen yeah. all day. And when women use these ingredients, I'm saying women, obviously it wasn't all women, but you know typically, 
it was an expression of like, I am a modern woman who has other things to do than be stuck in the kitchen all day. And I can use science and technology to make my life better. So for historical context, I can't recommend this book enough. Laura Shapiro, Something Ah. from the Oven. And I think you'll really enjoy that because I used to look down on it all. And now I see it as something different. You're right. And how people look down on like dump cakes for utilizing boxed cake mixes or, you know, um, the the cornbread uh, boxed mixes as well. The jiffy. Yeah. So, Dylan, what is next? Is it music? Is it food? Is it a little bit of both? I have found a joy through baking in my 20s that I fully intend to, you know, live out in that. Yeah. I, I feel so I feel so grateful at this sort of late age, you know. <laughs> to, <laughs> oh, Dylan, I have shoes older than you. Okay, can we just be honest here? I have shoes older than you. So. No, I I really in, I really enjoy baking and I really enjoy cooking from 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 yesteryear, and I really want to continue doing this. But like you say, maybe later down the road, you know, actually taking these, you know, baking lessons, um, learning further or actually, you know, baking recipes from the 1800s. You ask what's next. And, you know, three years ago when I asked myself what's next, I said I was going to be a music teacher in Bermuda, Mm -hmm. you know, teaching kids how to play piano, how to play, you know, brass instruments and getting them ready for a college education in music. So that's what I thought was next, only to find out that I was then going to be a baker on the internet with a cookbook coming out in 2023. (laughs) That's very bizarre. So for me, I've allowed myself to say, whatever's next is that which I enjoy and that which finds success. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that's going to be in social media and in baking because mm-hmm. it's filled me with a sense of fulfillment in ways that I didn't think was possible through dusty cookbooks and through staring mm. into my phone camera. So mm-hmm. I, I hope to continue that. I hope that it evolves. And like you said, I hope that I can still keep and inject my personality that, that I bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know one of the things I've always wanted to do, it was always in the back of my mind, but I never did it, is I always wanted to open a nostalgia bakery with oh. nothing but nostalgia oh, bakes. What a good idea. I, I like American bakes. I'm not big on you know, European bakes and, and different things that they have. It just it, I like American layer cakes and pies and some of the things that we have. I always wanted to open that. You could be extremely successful having a nostalgia bake, bakery. Yeah, you really yeah. could. Really? Think about that. We are just giving you so much career (laughs) information. We're going to want our 10% cut. (laughs) So now we're going to move on to our world famous, feared by foodies everywhere, Chop Chop Round. (laughs) All right. So top of mind, Dylan, what is your go-to meal to make when you're dead tired? It is a box of Kraft mac and cheese. Yay! Absolutely. What's your best time-saving trick in the kitchen? Buying a food processor. (laughs) Okay, how about your favorite food TV show or movie? Are you too familiar with Fanny Craddock? No. No. Oh, good heavens, you must look her up. Writing it down. (laughs) She is this absurd... 
absurd baker and uh, uh-huh. and cook from Britain in the mid century, Fanny Craddock, absolute Ooh. hoot. <laughs> I got to check that out. I'm so excited. So your most beaten up cookbook. Well, this is kind of hard for you since everything you have is beaten up, but the one that you use the most, I should say. It's an old 1954 book called Stove Pilot, and it Mm -hmm. is a cookbook from a naval base, I want to say in Alabama, and Mm -hmm. it's got perhaps, you know, out of 150, it's got 30 pages left. Wow. And Uh I love it, and I I bake from it. It has a Brazil nut cake in there, which is... You know, the main constituent is four cups of Brazil nuts ground to a consummate paste. Well, I'm glad that we're finding uses for Brazil nuts because it's the one nut I will not eat in a mixed jar of nuts. I always bypass the Brazil nuts. So that's good. <laughs> All right. What is your greatest faux pas in the kitchen? Um, probably the time I left a pecan pie in the oven for three hours. Oh, my. <laughs> Did you leave the house? Well, I got in the shower. I, re- I recall I was getting ready for a dinner party. It was in the it was in early December of 2021. And I had put the pecan pie in the oven and I had gotten in the shower and you know I had gotten my boots on and I had lost my car keys and I, you know, found them eventually and I you know, scraped the ice off of my windscreen and I started up the car and I went over to my friend Parker's house. And uh he said, uh, you know, great, where's, where, where's the pie? <laughs> Tell me shit. And I said, oh, good heavens. So, you know, I, I, I took, you know, two minutes to get to Parker's house and I got back to my house in 20 seconds and I could tell the pie was done because when I opened the door, there was smoke in my face. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a, I made a briquette. It was terrible. <laughs> And what's the food you miss the most from back home in Bermuda? Easily, it's curried goat. Mm. Mm. Curried goat. There's this, there's this little store down the way from where I live called Summer's Supermarket, and they have a, a hot bar. And mm-hmm. there's always a little tray of, of curried goat, which is just as it sounds. And you pour that over rice, and it's, it's very popular in the islands. And uh, in Bermuda as well. But a, a good curried goat or a curried goat pot pie. Miss it. Mm, Ooh. Yum. I used to work at a West Indian bakery and I totally feel you on that. What are the most underrated and overrated yesteryear recipes that you can think of? Mm, the most overrated yesteryear recipes I do actually think are the mayonnaise cakes. Yep. Mm. This is this is sort of going back because I say some of my favorite are the chocolate mayonnaise cakes, but you know overrated in that, and I I fell victim to this as well. Where mayonnaise seems absurd, you know, mm-hmm. everyone lists it as this crazy idea. Where you know through my experience, you know mayonnaise. I mean, it's you know oil, eggs, you know, eggs. it's right. got all of those exactly. important things. Um, they're overrated in that they're not. They're not as wacky as, as, as one thinks they are. So I think mayonnaise cakes are probably the most overrated, the most underrated. Is it the pork cake? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I think it's flourless cookies or all different mm. types of macaroons. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. you hear of cornflake macaroons or pecan dainties. Mm-hmm. 
so I really like any cookie that is made with going back to graham cracker crumbs or uh, just egg whites and sort of mm-hmm. soda cracker crumbs with some dates in there. Wow. They, they were so plentiful in the cookie section. You know, you look at a cookies section in modern cookbooks and, you know, mm-hmm. they're all just different varieties of chocolate chip cookies. But exactly. You, know, you, you go back to, to macaroons and I'm obsessed with meringue. I don't think there's anything better than a velvety, <laughs> glossy meringue. You make it into, you know, a meringue pie shell. You make it into a macaroon. I think it's fantastic. Wonderful. Well, Dylan, it has been great chatting with you. We wish you such great success with the book, Baking Yesteryear, and we hope you'll come back on the show again. I thank you kindly. It's been an utmost pleasure. Thanks, Dylan. B. Dylan Hollis is a social media star who loves baking and tasting unusual recipes from bygone eras. A jazz pianist and arranger, he shot to social media fame during quarantine when he baked from old community cookbooks he'd been collecting for years. You can find Dylan at B. Dylan Hollis on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. His book, Baking Yesteryear, is available at bookstores everywhere. Talking With My Mouthful is produced by Over It Studios, and our producer is classic, vintage, and always fresh, Adam Claremont. You can reach Adam and Over It Studios at overitstudios.com. Remember to follow Talking With My Mouthful wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And a new feature, if you like what you hear, you can support us, just like public media. You'll find a link on our show page wherever you download your podcasts. Click it to support. Even a dollar will do. Bye, David. Ciao. You guys are very verbose in, in that, yeah, you, you, you speak very easily on these things, you know. And we're constantly writing notes to each other, so sometimes you don't see us looking at you because we're typing back and forth. <laughs> oh, no, you say this. Oh, ask, the, ask him this. Don't ask him that. Or shut up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or shut up. Let him speak.